It isn't that God doesn't desire pleasure for you. He does. Eternal pleasure. Delight in him. A life that is full of the joy of the Lord. But you're grabbing for the wrong thing when you find your pleasure in sin. Have you mourned over it? And have you had a willingness to confess that sin? Have you spent this week confessing your sin? We're coming to communion this morning an opportunity to to be reminded of in, in a very physical way the sacrifice of Christ for us in a place that we should never move past without having worked through, wrestled through the sins in our lives that we are. Hello and welcome again to Grace Maryville Weekly, which is a podcast ministry of Grace Community Church located in downtown Maryville, Tennessee. The sermon you are about to hear is a part of a sermon series presented by Pastor Chris Reiser from the book of Matthew. Pastor Chris has sought to demonstrate that Jesus is the King, which is the overall theme of the book of Matthew. It is our goal to provide messages on Monday and Friday, weekly from the pulpit at Grace Community Church, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, and to call everyone to repent and believe. Let's listen now as Pastor Chris works exegetically through the text. Please open in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5, and I'll be reading verses 1 through 12. And if you'll stand, we'll read those verses together. And as you stand, just want to mention two additional things. One, we're having our first Bible quiz of the season today. We'll be quizzing over Philippians chapter 1, all 30 verses of it. And if you have no idea what Bible quizzing is or have never had an opportunity to see that, I would encourage you to come if you have uh, young people, uh, youth age that uh, uh, might someday be interested in that. I would encourage you to come and just watch to see uh, what it's like to try to memorize 30 verses and then answer questions about it. It's a neat thing. And really, the quizzing program, the, the competition part, is just kind of the, uh, it's the way to get us involved in further memorization. And so whether or not we're quizzing over it, I, I pray that you are constantly memorizing Scripture. That's this afternoon. It starts at 1 o'clock. If you're part of that, you can go over and get lunch uh, beginning, I think, during the second service. So uh, be ready to do that so we can start right at 1. It goes till 4.30. And then additionally, this Wednesday from 9 o'clock to 10 o'clock after our youth uh, uh, services and children's services, we will be having our SI, our second SI introductory class. That is our Shepherds Institute. So that runs for, it's a two-year program. It's relatively intense. Uh, There's some memorization to do, tests to take, but really we work our way through uh, Old Testament and New Testament survey, bibliology, ecclesiology, systematic theology, hermeneutics, how to teach the Bible. And it's designed for any man who desires to be able to shepherd his family Uh, better in the things of the Lord, as well as to minister more uh, effectually in the church. Uh, And then for those who perhaps one day the Lord might direct into full-time ministry or eldership within the local church, we want to equip you as much as possible for those things. So all of those ranges, uh, SI covers. So if you are interested in that, if that piques your interest, then come from 9 o'clock to 10 o'clock. If you came to the first meeting in May and I haven't heard from you since then, come from 9 o'clock to 10 o'clock. I'd love to talk with you about that program. It starts the first Thursday of September, so we're getting close. All right, that said, let's read Matthew chapter 5, beginning uh, in verse 1. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. He opened his mouth and began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. 
Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Please be seated. If you just wanted to do a bit of a survey of the headlines, even of this morning, you would find things like this, battles between Israel and Hamas, ongoing conflict in Ukraine, fighting in Iraq, civil war in Syria, destruction in Libya, killing in Nigeria, and the list goes on and on. And it has ever been true that the kingdoms of the world seek to advance their way by force, but this is not the way that it is with the kingdom of God. Our beatitude this morning, our our blessedness this morning relates to being gentle. Verse 5, blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. And that is certainly not how the world believes that they will inherit it. Everyone wants to dominate the world in one way or another, and certainly everyone has an agenda that they wish to put over on their little piece of the world, and we do that by force. That is our nature. And yet what we will see is that the kingdom of heaven is not entered or advanced by forceful assertiveness, but by gentle persistence. Again, what we'll see this morning is that the kingdom of heaven is not entered or advanced by forceful assertiveness, but by gentle persistence, the exact opposite of the way that the world seeks to extend and expand its kingdoms. Now, as we've begun our our series on the Beatitudes, the way that we are blessed in the kingdom, we began with blessed are the poor in spirit. And remember that I said that generally it seems that these move in in order. They are are progressing one, kind of following upon the other. You can't have one without the other. So we began with blessed are the poor in spirit, those who recognize they are bankrupt, those who recognize that they have nothing to offer, those who come to the Lord acknowledging the fact that they must receive everything from Him, and then they stay that way. As they enter in the kingdom, as the Spirit of God enters their hearts, it's only more humbling to us. We only recognize to a greater degree what we were like and what we are like apart from Christ. So there's an ongoing poorness of spirit that develops within us as we continue on in the kingdom. And I'll just ask you, that's why I'm reading these each time. That's why uh, we, we go back and review these a bit. We don't just want to move from one to the other and forget the ones that came before. Are you more poor in spirit than you were when we started the series on the Beatitudes? Have you wrestled and, and, and fought with your own sinful flesh so that you have remained with a poorness, a, a humility of spirit that trembles at the Word of God? Because if you haven't, if you're not growing in that, then, then you're not living as a kingdom citizen. These are not for some future time. These are not simply the ways that we get into the kingdom. This is how we're living now. This is how you receive the blessedness of the kingdom. That is that happy, joyful contentedness that comes from knowing that you have received the favor of God. So if you're not experiencing that blessedness, I'm not talking about a circumstantial peace. I'm not talking about a, a life that's easy. I'm not talking about the fact that the things in your life that were difficult have gone away. Probably none of that has happened. In fact, the more we enter into these Beatitudes, probably there are more things you see that you need to change. And yet there should be, there, there is an experience of blessedness within the kingdom that comes from poorness of spirit. And then we talked about blessed are those who mourn, verse 4, for they shall be comforted. Have you been comforted this week? Have you experienced the comfort of God, the joyful peace that comes from knowing that you are in right relationship with Him, from knowing that He has dealt with your sin and forgiven your sin? And the reason that you know that is because you have mourned over your sin. You will never know the comfort of God until you recognize the evil of your sin and and cry out against it. 
And so, have you chosen this week, last week, to mourn over your sin? Literally, we talked about a physical anguish. That's how much sin means to us. If we, if we let it rest within us, we cannot sleep. We, we cannot rest. An emotional distress, which cries out to the Lord. A focus on God, remembering that our sin ultimately is before Him and Him alone. A rejection of sin's pleasure. How was that this week? Did you recognize how it was that you were being pleased with your sin and choose to set that aside so that you would no longer rejoice in your sin, clutching it as that little idol that brings you pleasure, instead mourning and weeping, as it were, over that sin, rejecting the pleasure that it brings because it's the wrong kind of pleasure? It isn't that God doesn't desire pleasure for you. He does. Eternal pleasure. Delight in Him a life that is full of the joy of the Lord, but you're grabbing for the wrong thing when you find your pleasure in sin. Have you mourned over it? And have you had a willingness to confess that sin? Did you spend this week confessing your sin? We're coming to communion this morning, an opportunity to to be reminded of, in, in a very physical way, the sacrifice of Christ for us in a place that we should never move past without having worked through, wrestled through the sins in our lives that we are aware of. Well, now we move to our next one verse 5. So drop your eyes there. Blessed are the gentle. And it is those who are poor in spirit, recognizing their bankruptcy, who then mourn over their sin, and then they seek to pursue the things of God in the proper manner, in a kingdom manner. You see, if you're not poor in spirit and you're not mourning over your sin, then you're never gentle. You're going to be forceful. You're, You're going to be agitated and therefore not properly pursuing the things of the Lord, trying to get your sinful pleasures cared for. In James chapter 4, it says, what is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Is not the source your pleasures that wage war in your members? You lust and do not have, so you commit murder. You're envious and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. That's not the gentleness of the kingdom. And so until we're poor in spirit, until we mourn over our sin, we will never be properly gentle. We will never live out this beatitude. We will never have the blessedness which comes from gentleness. So let's first define it, as we have with each one. Let's define this word. We need to, it's, it's a biblical word, and so we can't just pour our own definitions, our English definitions into it. The base meaning of the word is, is humble, considerate. Some of your translations will read, blessed are the meek. And uh, the connotations of that word in our society are someone who kind of is, he sits in the corner, he's a wallflower, people walk all over him, and, you know, a, a meekness, he doesn't speak up much, he's kind of quiet. Well, that's not what meekness is. That's not what true gentleness is. This word really is a person who is characterized by by being humble, not harsh or arrogant. The word connotes a submissive and teachable spirit towards God that manifests itself in genuine humility and a consideration of others. And when we think of of this word, it it is used in in Greek literature and is used uh, to describe the harnessing of animals. The strong animals would be brought under control so that their power could be properly harnessed for profitable work. Think of it this way. If you turn an ox loose in the field, it just tramples everything down. Right? It's just going to run around and trample over everything. If you harness it and use its power under control, then the entire field can be plowed to produce straight rows and good crops. And so that's the idea of this word. There's power involved in it, but it is power that is properly controlled, is expended wisely The power is used in a way that pleases and honors the Lord. And that's exactly what the world cannot do. They cannot use power properly. They abuse it always. Absolute power does what? It corrupts absolutely. That is true. And so unless we have the power that is properly directed through the Spirit of God, then we will never be able to advance the kingdom properly. And people make all kinds of mistakes in this arena. 
when they are not properly gentle, and they really tend to, to fall on two sides. When, when we consider the word gentleness, this, the idea, we tend, some tend to see this as the fruit of never offending. It's always being nice, never being confrontive in any way. Others see it as, see gentleness as wimpiness and weakness, and they go to the other, other extreme, despising a compassionate and a gracious heart. They just unload on anyone and everyone they think needs to hear a piece of their mind. But this is not true gentleness, neither of these. Jesus Christ, when he confronted the, women, the woman caught in adultery, when she was brought to him, you remember what he said, he, he, he graciously and kindly and tenderly cared for her sending everyone else away, you know, saying, you who, when, who have no sin, then you throw the first stone. And then he says to her that, where are your accusers? Now go your way. But he also says to her, go and do not sin. That's the gentleness of Christ towards the woman, the proper expression of his power towards her in that moment. But you might also remember that when Jesus confronts the Pharisees, what does he do? He doesn't mildly, as it were, just simply say, oh, I wish you wouldn't do that. Stop, stop being so self-righteous. No, he assaults them as, as, as whitewashed tombs. Each of those is, is an expression of the proper gentleness of Christ to accomplish the work necessary. It is strength under control, power harnessed in loving service and respectful actions. And so uh, if we're going to put together all of that into a definition, I would, I would put it together like this. The Holy Spirit-empowered ability to humbly and graciously exercise God's power in just the necessary measure to accomplish God's purpose. Again, the Holy Spirit-empowered ability to humbly and graciously exercise God's power in just the necessary member to accomplish God's purpose. It's, a, it's an attitude of heart, and then it's an attitude of conduct. It's a way that we conduct ourselves. Tom MacArthur says this, meekness is not cowardice or emotional flabbiness. It is not a lack of conviction nor mere human niceness, but it is courage, its strength, its conviction, and its pleasantness come from God, not from self. The spirit of meekness is the spirit of Christ, who defended the glory of his Father, but gave himself in sacrifice to others. And so we see in this progress of the Beatitudes that when we are poor in spirit, and when we mourn over our sin, then we have the proper attitude of spirit which enables us to exert the power of God properly in, in accomplishing the work of God, never for ourselves or to pursue our own agenda, but always to see that the glory of God and the work of God is upheld. That's the work of the kingdom. That's the work of gentleness. And that's, in fact, how the world, as we will see, is inherited. The world is conquered by this Holy Spirit-empowered gentleness that enables us to properly exhort the great, or exert the great power that God has given us to accomplish His work. So let's look at first, or, or next, the godliness of gentleness. I'd like you to see that this is a characteristic of God Himself, and the way that God lives this out, the, the all-powerful, almighty, all-knowing, all-present God is, him, is, in fact, gentle. So let's look at a few of the ways that the Bible describes the gentleness of God so that we might get a picture for ourselves before we look at the ways that we will live this gentleness out within the kingdom. In this godliness of gentleness, we, uh, the first one we will see or look at this morning is the God, I call it the God of the gentle blowing in 1 Kings 19.12 after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire, and after the fire, a sound of gentle blowing. You remember the, the story, the historical narrative. It is Elijah, and he has uh, he's defeated the prophets of Baal. Jezebel has then threatened his life. He's gone. He's, he's run into the wilderness saying, Lord, kill me. God has brought him to the mountain, 
and has shown him, uh, he's brought him out on the mountain to look at some great and mighty acts, an earthquake and a fire. And God's point to Elijah is that in, in this case and in this way, he was not in those things. It was not the mighty great acts. Remember, Elijah just called down fire upon the prophets of Baal. And that's what Elijah expected all the time. He wanted to see God work in that great, mighty consuming of his adversaries. And God does that. But that is not always how he works. He's saying, Elijah, you're missing the point. I don't always work that way. And the gentle blowing, the gentle wind that comes, and that was a physical expression. It wasn't some internal voice. God then speaks to Elijah after that in, in ways that Elijah can directly hear. God speaks to him. It was a physical manifestation. After the manifestations of the fire, the manifestations of the earthquake, he then sends a gentle wind. He says, Elijah, I'm in this too. You're forgetting that I work in this way. My gentleness, my, my force is expressed in just the right way in every measure. He is great and mighty. But he does not always reveal himself in displays of visible power or obvious might. In fact, he most often does his work in quiet and perceptible ways, using his word to make a powerful impact by the Spirit of God. In fact, this is how God works within our hearts. So he is the God of the gentle blowing, as it were, the God who is not always seen in the great and mighty acts, but who is seen as well in the quiet and gentle ones. Next, we have the God of the gentle leading called it the God of the gentle leading. In Isaiah 40, verses 10 and 11, it says, Behold, the Lord God will come with might, and with his arm ruling for him. Behold, his reward is with him, his recompense before him, the mighty God coming to accomplish his work. And then it says this in verse 11, Like a shepherd, he will tend his flock. In his arm, he will gather the lambs and carry them in his bosom. He will gently lead the nursing ewes. You see, in, his great, in the greatness of his power, as he accomplishes his work, even as he conquers his enemies, he never overexerts his power. He never loses his mind or, or forgets what he's doing. And even as he exerts that greatness, he also carefully and gently provides for those and cares for his children, doing exactly the right thing at the right time, just enough power to accomplish his work and a careful gentleness that leads his people. He will gather the lambs and carry them in his bosom. He will gently lead them. He always leads us with a perfect measure of tenderness and strength. He is never inappropriately rough with his children. And that is the way that we are to treat the people of God. That is the way we are to, to live within his kingdom. As a parent, I find this so difficult. You see, I oftentimes want to come with the mighty arm, my recompense that will be brought for my children. And I have a hard time turning from that when that is necessary to the gentleness of picking them up and leading them in that way. See, God does this perfectly. I long for this characteristic of God, a proper gentleness that can expend the proper force, that can, that can move when, when necessary in strong ways, but that always has this tenderness in mind. See, he doesn't abandon tenderness to move towards when he's working in a forceful way. It is essentially still that tenderness properly directed with force. And then he can change and turn when the quietness and gentleness is needed, that he can do each one of those things. He's the God of the gentle leading, even in the midst of his great might and his power in accomplishing his work, and would that we would be the same. He's also the God of the gentle upholding. Psalm 18.35 says, You have also given me the shield of your salvation. Your right hand upholds me, and your gentleness makes me great. What a verse. The fact that God in his tender mercy, as he upholds us and cares for us, his gentle working with us is really what enables us to become all that he would have us to be. 
His tender, merciful, powerful work in our lives shapes us and molds us, providing everything we need for true greatness. He's condescended to shield us and to uphold us, we who are less than nothing in comparison with His work, with His worth and greatness. And God takes us and He gently cares for us, even when He is disciplining us, even when the hand upon us seems to be heavy, yet we need to remember that always it is this gentle hand. Always the work of God is properly gentle. And it is that which makes us great because that, it is that which molds us and, and conforms us into His image. He is the God of the gentle upholding. And then He is also the God of the gentle heart. We'll study this more in detail when we reach this place in Matthew. But in Matthew chapter 11, verse 29, you remember what Jesus says. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. That's, in, that's the, the word gentle there is the same word that is used in Matthew chapter 5. Our other Old Testament words were, were, were reflections of that word. They were the, the Old Testament, the Hebrew equ- equivalent of this New Testament word, this Greek word. But here we have the same word used in Matthew eleven twenty nine. 29, I am gentle and humble in heart. You will find rest for your souls. The tenderness and gentleness of Christ ensure our strengthening and growth and comfort as we come underneath His authority. Notice how all those things are put together. You take my yoke upon you because I'm gentle. That's exactly what we described, yoking the oxen. We're properly bringing them under control so they can use their, their, their strength properly. Well, that's what God does for us. That's what Christ does for us. He says, come to me. I will place my yoke upon you. I will enable you to properly use the power that I give you to accomplish my work. Thank you for joining us again on Grace Maryville Weekly. These messages are just a small collection of sermons that have been presented at Grace Community Church in downtown Maryville, Tennessee. If you would like to learn more about Grace Community Church, where Pastor Chris serves as an elder and pastor, please visit us online at gracemaryville.org. Again, that is gracemaryville.org. There, not only will you be able to find out more about the many ministries at Grace, but you will also be able to access a full audio archive of messages not only presented by Pastor Chris, but also messages presented to our women's ministry, youth ministry, and college-aged ministries, as well as the Sola and Essentials conferences hosted at Grace. We invite you to visit us online And we hope that you will join us again next time as Pastor Chris continues to exegetically work through the book of Matthew. Until then, remember that Jesus is the King, and the time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ.